The story is told of a famous Hellenist general, Alexander the Great, who one time was about to besiege this city. The city was a walled and fortified city, and his army was camped outside of it. But it was no ordinary walled city. This was perhaps one of the most impenetrable cities in the area. In fact, um, there was, walls were, were said to be, have been attacked many times, but no army had ever been able to enter the city. And Alexander and his army were outside of this, this city and, and poised for attack. But the king inside felt very secure about his safety. In fact, he was so secure that he was rather smug about it. And so he sends an emissary out to the general, and the emissary goes out and he says to Alexander the Great, he says, um, you'll notice that the gates of this city are triple thick. There's no way to get through the gates. Our walls are so high and so thick that there's no way to get through them or over them because every time a soldier tries to climb the walls, our archers will shoot them down. This city is solid. It is fortified. You will not take the city. So the general is reported to have paused for a while, calls a captain who calls a platoon of soldiers over, about 30 soldiers. And Alexander the Great says to these soldiers, you see that cliff over yonder, I suppose he spoke with a southern accent, you see that cliff over yonder, I want you to march single file towards that cliff and do not stop until the order is given. And so the men did exactly as they were told. They got in single file line, headed right towards the cliff, And as they got to the edge, the precipice of the cliff, they did not stop because the order was not given. And over the cliff went the first soldier to his death. And the second soldier, without hesitation, walked off the cliff to his death. The third, a fourth, a fifth, eight or ten of them went over the cliff without hesitating to their certain deaths. And then the general said, stop. And the men stopped. And he looked at the emissary And he says, the question is not when we shall take this city, or if we shall take the city, but rather when we shall take it. This city's future is certain. The emissary with a mouth wide open goes back to the city and tells the king, our fate is sealed. These men serve their general with such devotion that there's no way they shall not take this city. And the king surrendered. What if you had that much control over somebody's life? I mean, wouldn't that be... I mean, imagine the power. If you could tell somebody, march off that cliff and they would do it. I can't get somebody to bring me a cup of coffee, you know. Um, I don't know what that would be like, but I think it would be awesome. I, I kind of feel like I know what it's been to be on the other end of that. Have you ever had that boss who wants you to do all kinds of crazy stuff? You know that one, right? When I was 17, I worked at this grocery store. And I remember one day, it must have been just a, a short time after I got hired, uh, the, the manager says to me, uh, Boys, well, I want you to go up in the stock room on the second floor and, and dig out the uh, snow tires for the shopping carts and come down and put all the, uh, the, change all the tires out, put the snow tires on them. Have you ever seen snow tires for shopping carts? Neither had I. But, you know, I was a kid. I didn't know. And so I go up and I'm looking for snow tires. I'm up there. Uh, I'm digging through boxes. Can't find them. I didn't, you know, I wanted, didn't want to look like a fool in front of my manager. And I waited a long time. Finally, I went down and I said to him, uh, Mr. Rogers, I'm sorry, but I have looked all over for those snow tires and I can't find them anywhere. Oh, boys always says, I can't send you to do anything, can I? Go back to the break room. Bill Harrier's back there. Go back and ask him. He's been around for a long time. 
He'll tell you where they are. I'm like, okay, I'll go, you know. And so I walk back to the break room, and there's Bill Harrier, a veteran of the, of the grocery store, been around a long time. All the guys are sitting back there having a break, all except for Joe, who's upstairs looking for snow tires. And so I say to him, um, hey, Bill, uh, Mr. Rogers wants me to put the snow tires on the shopping carts, but I've looked all over for those. So, yeah, you know where this is going, don't you? And the whole break room burst into laughter. Joe, they said, there are no snow tires. You know, he's just hazing you a little bit. Oh, I said, that jerk, I can't believe he would do that to me. You know, sometimes someone gives you an order, a command, and it seems completely unreasonable. But it's very reasonable. Hey, you, march off that cliff. And only eight men died to take a city. Hey, you, go up and change the tires on the shopping carts. Seems like a reasonable thing to say to somebody, but it's not. See, that's the thing, isn't it? You have to discern what seems like an unreasonable request and what actually is one. And that's sort of Abraham's experience. Do you know Abraham? He's the father of Isaac, who was the father of Jacob, whose name became Israel. Abraham is the father of the nation of Israel. The father of the grandfather of Moses and David and Elijah and Elisha, the great 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 grandfather of Joseph and Mary, and someone else perhaps you've heard of, Jesus. This family of Abraham. But Abraham wasn't always a follower of God. In fact, for the first seventy five years of Abraham's life, he was a pagan. He didn't know Yahweh, Jehovah God. He, he, he only knew the gods of his, his world. And, and so he lived like everyone else. But Abraham had some things going for him. He was wealthy. Lots of money. Had a, lots of aunts and uncles and cousins and, and all sorts of people around him. He was married to a beautiful woman. So beautiful. So beautiful that at, at 70 years old, she was taken by a king and, 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 and kind of robbed away from Abraham. He, she was a gorgeous woman, and so he has this beautiful wife and lots of cousins, and, but no children. Not a child, huge gap in his life. And so at 75, he wakes up one morning, I assume it was in the morning, he wakes up one morning and he hears someone calling his name, Abraham. Who is that? Here's how God initiates a conversation with Abraham. Here's what he says to him first. Not, hello, how are you? How have things been going on? in your None of that. Would you like a cup of coffee? No. Here's what he says to him. Go. Go from the place that you know, from your family, your friends, your home, to the place that I'm going to show you. Not the place that I'm showing you. The place that I'm going to show you sometime in the future. This, you know, Lord, just exactly where is that place? Don't worry, you'll find it when you get there. Now, this is a bad GPS system, isn't it? This is what the Lord says to him. This is his first conversation. And if you do this, here's what I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you descendants, children. And through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. These three things, land, descendants, blessing. And Abraham says, did you say something about children? (laughs) Did you say that I would have a child? I'm 75 years old. Any 75-year-olds in here? Are you thinking about having children anytime soon? (laughs) Did you say a child? I'll have a child? Okay, I'm going. 
I'll saddle up my donkey. And he's off. He, he heads out. He goes because God said go. He acts when God says to act. He does sometimes not always so well. Sometimes he, he messes things up and he doesn't act with real great faith. But boy, I tell you what, he saddles up his donkey that day and he left. And every now and then he kind of gets off course and God gets him back and he does. He acts, he goes, he listens, he obeys. And then he gets this message from the Lord in chapter 22. You heard it read, didn't you? Abraham, go. We heard that before, right? Go to the mountain that I'm going to show you. God is so good about this future direction thing, right? Go to this mountain and there offer your son as a sacrifice to me. I suppose this is where Abraham said, I'm sorry, Lord, because I, I must have heard you wrong, because it sounded like you said, go offer your son as a sacrifice, which is clearly not what you said, right? Go offer your son as a sacrifice. Go offer your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. This child was born to Abraham when he was 100 years old. The promise came when he was 75. He waited 25 years for this son. And when this boy was born, you know what they named him? Not just Isaac. You know what Isaac means? It means laughter. Because I'll bet they laughed. Their, their stomachs hurt, right? They're 190 years old. You know, he's 100, she's 90, and they have a baby. I'll bet that was, a, that was probably the most riotous uh, OBGYN ward in the entire, uh, you know, Middle East. You know, they're, they're, can you believe it? A 90-year-old woman had a baby today. And they named him Laughter. And not just because it was funny but because he brought them great joy. And they lived with this child for years. This child is old enough to ask intelligent questions. You heard it. Where are we going? Where's the sacrifice? I see the knife. I see the fire. How about a lamb? You know, what's, what's going on here? This child has brought them great joy. But look closely at the text sometime. Look closely. Not one time does Abraham plead with God. Not one time does he argue, Lord, this can't be the right thing. Oh, we can psychoanalyze Abraham and say, surely he must have done that. But it's not here. Turn back a couple pages, though. And when God tells Abraham he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, do you know what Abraham does? He argues with God. No, Lord, you can't do that. You cannot destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. These are big cities. There, you know, there are people there. there. There might be righteous people living in there. In fact, Lord, if there are 50 righteous people living there, would you destroy them? And God says, no, no Abraham, not for 50 I wouldn't. Well, what about for 45? No, not for 45 I wouldn't. What, what about 40? No, Abraham, not for 30? No, not for 30. 20. Would you, would you not destroy him for 20 people? Just think if there were 20 people. And, no, look, Abraham, God says, I won't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah if you can find 20 people. What about 10? Just 10 righteous people. Would you, would you hold back destroying the city for 10 righteous people? He pleads for Sodom and Gomorrah. But in chapter 22, Abraham gets a more severe prediction. Go offer your son as a sacrifice. And not one word of debate. Not one, no Lord, I can't do that. No, what are you asking me? None of that. He goes. He just says, yes Lord. Read any interpretation of you want in any of the commentaries. I've got a stack of them. You come and read them. They're all over the map on this. But the bottom line is this. When God asks someone to do something absurd, 
What is the proper answer? The proper answer is, yes, Lord. You want me to go where? Yes, Lord. But what about my... Just go. You want me to do what with my life? Yeah, that's exactly what I want you to do. You want me to give how much money? Don't you know we have to buy milk and eggs around here? Yes. You want me to to marry who? Yeah, marry him. I'm sorry. Um, That's what Abby had to answer. Uh, This is what I want you to do. Do it without debate. You remember that song from Meatloaf? You probably don't. I would do anything for love. But I won't do that, you know? How many of us say to God, I'll do anything, just not that? When my very first year of, of entering theological study, you know what my greatest fear was? It was my, my, the biggest fear I had, that God was going to make me be a missionary to Africa. <laughs> do you ever think how much I laugh when I think about the fact that I have become a missionary to America from Africa? <laughs> Never in my mind had I ever considered that as a possibility. In Abraham's world, people used to worship this god called Moloch. Moloch is a corruption of a Semitic word, Melech, for king. And Moloch was this huge statue that that they would build. He had the body of a man and the head of a bull. And he would be tall, like two stories tall. They would build this huge god so he looked like this empowering figure over top the landscape. And he would be holding, he would sit in a throne holding this fiery pot, this big pot in his hand. And it would be a step built up to this so that the worshippers could go up and in this big fiery pot they could toss their sacrifice. Do you know what the people of the ancient Near Eastern world used to offer to Moloch? That's right. Their firstborn children. I don't know about this. I think it might be something like this. Abraham, do you love me as much as this world loves their gods? Yes, Lord, I do. See, I think that's what real faith is. Amen.